morning, everybody. Welcome to Westview Community Church. Thank you for being here, for choosing to worship together as a family today and not stay home and watch the Chiefs game. Amen? That's a way to start. <laughs> I'd like to welcome those who are online also today. Thank you for joining us. We're glad you're all here. To our guests, my name is Brian. I am our lead pastor, and uh, I wanna, I'm excited to jump in the Word with you today, but let me cover uh, some really important things here on the worship guide. All of you got this when you walked in. And so a couple things I want to cover here before we get started, because I don't want this to interrupt later, but they are important. First, November 7th, please go out and vote. Please, it is our responsibility to look and research our leaders. This is our community here that we're voting for on November 7th for our positions in the Board of Education and our, and our City Commission. Uh, to just research those candidates and go out and make a difference. And let's find leaders who are good, solid leaders to move us forward and, and let's all have a voice in that. The next one, the next item on here, I want you to actually get out your smartphone. Would you get out your smartphone with me? Everybody get out your smartphone. First thing is make sure it's on mute. Just seeing if you're awake. So get out your smartphone. Uh, for those online, you can actually, this, this Connect card's there too. I want you to actually pull out your camera and scan that QR code. It is our Christmas Eve survey, and I want you to do it right now because this voting closes really soon. So if you haven't voted on this yet, um, Christmas Eve uniquely falls on a Sunday. So we're asking your opinion whether we should do our normal service times in the morning or normally we do Christmas Eve services in the afternoon. We'd like to know what you think about it. So please go out, scan that QR code, vote right now while you're here, and then uh, we'll have that survey closed up and we will make a decision from there. We'd love to get your feedback on that. On the back here, an important reminder too, our deployed soldiers, if you, if you know of a soldier from our church who is deployed or is going to be deploying in the next couple of months, would you please write that information down on this Connect card and drop it off in our box? We wanna make sure this Advent that we're aware of every one of our soldiers from our church who is deployed. So please make sure we know that too. But, 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 but the fourth thing, the last thing is uh, Tuesday night, All Hallows Eve, this place was nuts. <laughs> there was, you could not stand in this room as we had hundreds of kids, because it was so cold out, we had hundreds of kids pour through here as we did our annual trunk or treat event. We just did it inside. It was a huge success. Where I really was excited about it was that it was our neighborhood. Our neighborhood was here in, in numbers, and that was awesome, but it took a lot of volunteers. Give a big round of applause to all of our kids ministry leaders, all the volunteers it takes to do that, we really met our neighborhood and that was an amazing, on the darkest night of the year, it was fun being a light. Amen? Amen. Well, let's jump into this, continuing on a sermon series, would you turn with me to the, to the letter from Paul to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be in chapter 1 the whole time. So it's towards the back of your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And let me kind of summarize our sermon series on the Jesus culture here a little bit. Uh, when we talk about the Jesus culture, what we're doing in this series is we're going actually first into the book of Acts, showing all of Paul's missionary journeys as he goes out and plants the church. And as Paul goes out there and plans the church, we see this in the book of Acts. We then go read the letter that Paul wrote. Most of the New Testament is written by Paul to the letters that he sends these churches who are battling a dominant culture narrative. And he's trying to remind them that the Jesus culture is what we are. That's what holiness is, is being a Jesus culture. And so he calls out the dominant narrative that tries to draw him away. And he talks about the Jesus culture. So week one, we talked about actually Paul himself. Saul, the religious guy who is who is basically destroying the church becomes Paul. He has that encounter with Christ and the Jesus culture and he ends up being the greatest planter of the church. In week two, Pastor Dylan took us to the book of Galatians where you have a real legalistic culture and we show what happens when that meets the Jesus culture. And last week, we were in Thessalonians where the Thessalonica church was actually dealing with distraction and what happens in that cultural distraction, what happens when that meets the Jesus culture. I'd love to recap all those, but they're on our YouTube channel. Go watch those. They're posted on our website if you want to go back and catch up. So this week, we've been to all those places already. This week, we're going to Corinth together. So before we do that, what, what are we going to find out in Corinth? There's a lot. So before we go there, let's pray together as we go into God's word together that we hear it well together. Would you bow your heads with me? Holy Spirit, would you help us as we go forward? That's not a great history lesson today or we just learn these cool things, but we actually engage the story which is our story. 
And we not only can see what was happening 2,000 years ago, but we can see how it applies today because we continue the story of the Bible as followers of Christ. So help us see the story. Help us live the story as we go forward. Give, we give you malleable hearts every week. Give you malleable hearts. Some of the stuff might rub. Help us see the Jesus culture in all of us. Amen. All right, let's jump right into Acts 18. Acts 18 is where we are. Uh, this is where Paul goes to Corinth and says, so then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. Not nice. And Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as Paul was. And one night, jumping to verse nine, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and he told him, hey, don't be afraid. Speak out, Paul. Don't be silent. For I'm with you. And no one will attack and harm you for many people in this city of Corinth belong to me. And so Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. Now this is important here to say why would God in verse 9 why would he say Paul don't be afraid don't be afraid to speak out why is that important that we see this that, Paul, that God shows up in a vision here well let's go back and look at this is Paul's secondary, second missionary journey which we talked about last week for those of you I'm going to be using a laser light here on this right screen for those of you online I want you to look really high on the map because you won't see the laser light but let's go back why, why would Paul say why would he tell Paul don't be afraid hey hang in there I want you to hang out here for a year and a half well we go backwards to what we talked about last week Paul was in Philippi for just a short time and him and Silas were there they ended up getting severely beaten by rods for bringing the gospel of Jesus and they got thrown in jail and through their horror they just realized they, Paul's a Roman citizen they couldn't do that so they yank him out of jail chase him out of town so they leave Philippi bruised and beaten and they go down to Thessalonica where we were last week they were only in Thessalonica for four weeks about one month three Sabbaths before the Jews, the jealous Jews rose up and drove them out of town. Paul and Silas have to leave in the middle of the night from Thessalonica to avoid getting beat. They're probably still bruised and sore from, from Philippi. And so then they go down to Berea, not far away, and it says they're just there a short amount of time when the Thessalonican Jews, the jealous ones, find them there and chase them out of Berea. So they're only there a short time. So then they go down to Athens and Paul's there for a short amount of time and he's, he's engaging all the stoic philosophers and everybody and having this big debate with them but he isn't there very long and then he goes to Corinth. Corinth. And it's interesting that God says, I know you've been on the run since Philippi and for a year and a half I want you to stay here. I'm gonna protect you but the people here need to hear the word. And so here he is hanging out in Corinth. So let's talk a little bit about Corinth. Corinth is uh, it's a city uh, a lot like Thessalonica. It's a big mix of people. It's a major port city, uh, pretty close to a port. A lot of people travel through here. Um, but one thing to pay attention to when we look at ancient Greece here, this peninsula down here at the south, Athens, you see how close it is to Athens? All this area is known for how smart the people are. This is the center of philosophy. This is the center of intellectualism. And some would argue that Corinth was even stronger than Athens at this point when Paul's there in regards to, to the study and the philosophy. And so this is a center of some of the best minds are all down here. What we know is Corinth was laid flat in 156 BC. We know Julius Caesar rebuilt it in 46 BC. So it's a really young town, about 80,000 people, but it is a mix. It has all the temples. It has a temple to Venus in there. And, and we hear here about the 1,000 temple prostitutes are in this community. So sexuality is a big thing, just like in, in Thessalonica. But it is a brain store of people also. And so I thought, man, if I could just take you there, if I could take you to Corinth to show you what it looks like so we could start there. And then I came across this video. This is a video of a first century archaeologist depiction of exactly what Corinth looks like. So imagine coming off a ship and walking into Corinth. This is what it looks like based on the archaeology digs back when Paul walked in there.
see the center of town, the outside walls, the harbor out there. In the center is all the temples, uh, all the multiple temples they have to all the Greek and Roman gods are there. It's a very affluent city, very well to do. This would be coming into the center courts where all the temples are and the worship. look overhead or town and what you see is what's common in Greek and Roman the Hippodrome here where you have all the athletic events which draws a lot of people from all around the world and there's your 10,000 foot flyover it's pretty cool and it? it's like it's like we're there it kind of helps us see it a little bit and it's just amazing with all that that Paul shows up there and says hey let's plant a church here in the midst of this. And, and, and God's so, so, so important. There's many people in here that belong to me. Let's, let's plant a church here. So not only did he planned there, he worked as a tent maker, which makes him part of the community. He's there with his other friends. He's making tents. That's what Paul did. And so he gets to actually be really in the community as a, as a provider and a market person too. And so Paul's there for a year and a half. And we know after that, he continues on his secondary journey going back to Antioch. And then we have his third missionary journey. But Paul writes a letter to this church three years later. In AD about 55, Paul writes a letter to the Corinthian church to encourage them. And so I want to take you there starting. So we're only going to be in 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1 explains kind of everything we want to talk about today. But there are 16 chapters in this letter. But 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 5, it starts out like Paul normally writes. He says this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Sosthenes. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people, to stand out in this place. He made you holy by the means of Christ Jesus. Just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he's given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, through Jesus, God has enriched your church in every way with all your eloquent words and all your knowledge, right? So he's right. He knows there's something about this church they're known for already is their eloquent words, their philosophy, the way they think. And so Paul's right, and he says, you are a special people in a dark city. You are wholly set apart to show God to the world. And he says, you have a great gift because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, those who believe in Jesus are given the Holy Spirit. And they have these incredible giftings which has made the church amazing. This foundation is important to them. And you're known for your intelligence and speaking ability in this part of the world. That's a big deal. And there, right about verse 5, we have the rest of chapter 1 and 16 more chapters, and there's almost nothing good to say after this point. The church of Corinth was really struggling. So it's interesting, he says, here's good, here's what started, here's your framework, but man, we got some work to do. So this church was really struggling. Paul had got a letter from the family or the house of Chloe, we'll see that in just a little bit, saying we've got problems. And then, and then Paul got a letter from the church leaders of Corinth saying we got a lot of problems. And after reading those two letters, Paul writes this letter. He says, remember where you started. Now let's deal with the problems. And there's many of them, 16 chapters, 16 chapters of a mess. This church is falling apart at the seams. And what we see in chapter one, the reason why I want to stay there is because all these problems that they have are creating one very big problem in the church. And we see it right here in verse 10 of chapter one. Paul writes, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought, and purpose so Paul pulls out the big problem and notice for somebody who lived a year and a half with them how much he loves them brothers and sisters this is his family right I appeal to you I don't demand I appeal to you to listen to this 
And when you go through the next 16 chapters, Paul's love is evident. He calls them brothers and sisters all the way through. But when you go through the next 16 chapters, this is what you're gonna hear. You're gonna hear favoritism, arguments, sexual immorality that's in the church, not like in Thessalonica, outside the church. This is where our freedom in Christ has got us behaving differently. Like we can do anything now and it's happening actually in the church. There's lawsuits against each other in the secular courts. They're arguing over what they ate, worship foods, uh, idol foods, uh, wor- uh, food worshiping idols and, and how they worship and all their charismatic gifts. All those things you'll see over 16 chapters. The main thing is it's tearing us apart. We're getting very divided. And so Paul says, here's our first note together for those of you following along in the back. Paul says, the number of divisions a church can have, how many did he tell them? None. You can't have any divisions in this body. Zero. Zero. And the 16 chapters I don't go through is what's tearing us apart. And we can't tolerate one for you are different and you are holy He says, under the authority of Christ, you can have zero divisions, be of one heart, one mind, united in thought and purpose, all of you. And as we go through the rest of chapter one, what I see there is he outlines three big problems. He outlines three big problems and only gives one solution. But these three big problems are at the heart of everything else. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 11. And let's talk about these three problems. It says, for some members of Chloe's household, that's the people that wrote in the letter, they told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. And so when we read this, what, what we're seeing is he's saying, some of you are following Paul. Paul's the one who planned the church and spent a year and a half there. Apollos is the guy who came after. Paul says, I, I planted, Apollos watered. Apollos shows up, and what we know about Apollos in the scripture is that Apollos is a very good speaker, and in this intellectual community, this is awesome. So people really fell in love with Apollos. I love the way he preaches. I love the way he speaks. So some followed him. Peter, we don't know. We don't know if Peter visited the original apostle of Jesus, or if, his, if, or if he's just known all the way from Jerusalem. Uh, we know that Peter did travel and stuff, but, but some are saying, I follow Peter alone. And then some say, I follow only Christ. And that sounds really good, but it could be they're rejecting all the other leadership of the church. When there's problems, they're gonna say, well, I I just follow Jesus, and I don't deal with that. And so, here's our next sermon note. Here's the three divisions that we're seeing just in chapter one that I think are big. They're causing a lot of the others. The first one the causes of division in the Corinthian church, the first one is popularity contests. I follow him. No, I follow him. No, I follow him. It's become kind of trendy to follow one person versus the other, right? What's happening is that people that maybe have walked with them or been with them are, are now uh, identifying with the person they're inspired by. You know, so they're not saying, hey, I'm a Jesus follower, I'm a Paul follower. And so it kind of become trendy to say, well, I just, I like this guy, I like this guy, I like this guy. So we've seen that. But I think there's another definition that, that's possible here, especially in a church that's this diverse, is the second issue I think that's causing division in churches of different backgrounds. When I say I follow Paul, Paul is a Jew, but he's a Roman Jew from Tarsus. That's Asia Minor. He's more like us, the Romans and the Greeks around here, maybe a little bit more familiar to us. And some say, well, no, I follow Apollos. Apollos is actually a Jew from Alexandria, Egypt. And this, just like Thessalonica, has Egyptian worship there too. So maybe the Egyptian people are coming to worship the Egyptian gods are going, I like Apollos because he comes from my hometown. And some maybe Peter because Peter is an original, an Israelite Jew from the homeland. Maybe it's like I'm following the real, the real deal, the original guy. What we know is this church is very diverse, probably more Gentile populated than Jewish. All these Romans, Jews, Egyptians, all these people in one place. And what they're starting to do is bias and prejudice are becoming an issue and are starting to side up. How many times have you seen that in a church? Right? I'm gonna hang out with my peeps. Don't really enjoy hanging out with the other peeps. And so they're starting to divide and become homogenous in their little groups.
But this third issue that's going on, I think, is one of the biggest. And it's the battles of wisdom, the third thing. There's a popularity contests of different backgrounds, but we're in the intellectual center of Greece, and they're having these battles of wisdom. And like I said, this place is full of philosophers, academics, everybody's out in the streets talking, arguing about the, what the next thing. And so Paul responds to this, 1 Corinthians 1.18. He says, the message of Jesus, or the message of the cross, is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved by Christ know it's the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Now he's comparing the cultures. You are holy and set apart as Christ. That's your culture this wisdom culture is destructive, separating, and everybody who thinks they're wise, God is wisdom. And what's amazing in the Greek Hellenistic culture of Corinth, they embraced intellectual knowledge. It's influence and power. The smarter I am, the more I argue, the more power I have, and the more I can influence. Wisdom is how we achieve and overcome all the big centers of humanity had this issue. And the way to a great life, everybody around them was arguing in this community, the way to a great life is contemplation, philosophy, and ornate speech. And let's argue about it. And all we do is argue. And people divide off in those camps. So there's the three big issues. The three big issues are popularity, backgrounds, and wisdom, which are causing a lot of the other issues going on. But what's interesting is Paul responds to these three big problems with only one answer. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 1.13 where he talks about the popularity issue. He says, has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. So Paul goes after popularity and he says, don't find your identity in people. Don't find your identity in the popularity. He says, here we follow a different culture. So here's our next note. He says, our culture is a Jesus culture. And Christ is our focus. That's the first one. That's his first answer. His answer is Christ because he's our focus. Instead of Paul and Apollos and all this, our focus is Christ. He is our identity. He who's, who saved you. He is your identity. He is our baptism. That's how we started. And so let me, let me, let me draw the parallels now. How does this look? You know, 2,000 years ago, right? How does this look to our church today? We don't have popularity contests. <laughs> you know, it's interesting when, and, and, uh, when we're a church that loves growing leaders and sending out and planning churches, you know, and Dylan's taking a lot more, you know, but what happens, we start sharing pulpit time and Dylan's preaching more. It's like sometimes we can start to say, well, I really like it when Dylan preaches, but not Brian. Or it could be, you know, we can start getting favoritism. It can draw that way. But I think the real way popularity, I mean, it can be just, because the pulpit is a very important place in God's word. But I think the real big popularity issues today are the people that say, you know what, I have my favorite preacher, I watch him every Sunday morning on my phone and I never get into community. I'm divided out. How many people will say, I love all this, I get my church through this, I don't need church, I'll go get my favorite preacher here or whatever like that, and popularity, I follow this guy, I follow this lady, I follow whatever. And what happens is the enemy just divides them out from community, I don't need community. But here at Westview, our work every day, we're human. We're weak at times, but Christ is our focus. When I'm up here speaking or Dylan or whoever, he is our focus. When we're worshiping, Christ is our focus, not our lead singer. He is our focus. Is the reason why we're here all the time. And so when you hear a different speaker, look to how you can hear Christ in them. When you hear a different singer, look how you can hear Christ in them. Because we're all here for one. One focus, and it's him. And that way we don't get divided. 
Let's move on to that second issue then. How, how do we deal? That's a popularity. So Christ is our focus. Now let's go to the second issue, uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty four. Paul writes, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, which is everybody, right? That's both inclusive of everybody who's called to God by Christ. Christ is the power of God and he's the wisdom of God. So now he's going after wisdom. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. He's talking about the division that comes in the church because of wisdom. I know better. We're arguing about stuff. And he says, those of us who are called to God through Christ, he is the wisdom of God which becomes the power of God. And so our second note there, Christ is our wisdom. He is our focus and he is our wisdom. When we say one of the most powerful lines Jesus ever gave was, I am the way, the truth. I'm the wisdom. I define the wisdom of truth in your life. Stick with me. I am the way, the truth, and life. And so we look at Manhattan, it's like, well, yeah, that's Corinth, Greeks, philosophers. We don't have that. Oh my goodness, we have a university here. You can get a doctorate in philosophy. This is a center of intellectualism. A lot of people drive from a long ways to come here for education. We have a great institution of growth and knowledge. And so intellectualism is a strong current in our culture here. When I say, well, have we struggled with this? Have we struggled with wisdom in our church being divisive? And I would respond, oh, buddy, let's go back three years. Let's talk about a pandemic virus that disrupts our church and we don't know what to do. And let's say all of a sudden this issue of masks and all of a sudden we start arguing about whether we wear masks or not, right? And it's infiltrating all the church. We don't know how to deal with that. We start arguing about masks and then all of a sudden shut down. It's like shut down the church. We can't shut down the church. You know, we went live. And then just a few weeks later, on Father's Day we go to go live and it's like we can't come back. To, we can't be in the same space together. And our wisdom, we're just wrestling with stuff we did not know. But we're wrestling, we're arguing. And then right when we seem like we're starting to understand what's going on with this virus, and all of a sudden racial relations just blow up in our nation. And the words social justice rise up, and then there are big arguments about social justice versus big adjustments, and let's just argue, 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 but let's not do a thing. And it rises up in the church. Like, do we pay attention to this? Is there actually racial injustice? Is there all these things? And so we went through that big ripple as we, we, we sat there and we debated and there's wisdom fights inside the church. I'm talking about not only here, everywhere. And just when we're getting a breath from that, all of a sudden we go through an election year. And the most divisive time between the Democrat and Republican Party erupts and it infiltrates the church. If, you, if, you are, if you're on that side, you can't even be Christian. Right? And then the divisiveness infiltrates the church a third time. It was like f four waves of every time we got ourselves back up on our feet, it seems like the next wave hit and we're dealing with the next thing that's starting to tear apart the church and the arguments and the wisdom, the wisdom, the, the, the conspiracy theories, which I don't think one's come true yet. But all the things we dealt with in times, all that stuff during those three years, wisdom and it tears us apart the foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans you want to know who I was most disappointed in during that time me I didn't know how to react I got angry at people who were getting angry with each other I hated watching the church get torn up, spun up. My health changed. And then one day in my, in my Master's of Divinity class, I took this class called Preaching with Empathy. And then do preaching. God said, Brian, you need empathy. You need to put on everybody's shoes. It's hurting in your church. It's arguing. It's going through tough stuff. 
listened to him. I had the biggest lesson of my life. A lot of us grew through that time. A lot of us grew because our focus got back to Christ, right? And a lot of us started to realize our wisdom isn't that great sometimes, but we got our wisdom back to Christ, we started to come back together, right? And we started working through it. We've lost some people on the way. We've gained some people on the way. We healed, and we got back together. And church, I wanna call one thing out and that is we're gonna go into a major election year last, next year. And let's don't let that divide us again. Amen. Let's stay with our focus on Christ, seek our wisdom through here, and when we don't agree sometimes, let's sit down together in Christ's love and work those things out, if they can get worked out. But if we keep him our focus and our wisdom, we're gonna be okay. Prepare for next year. It's gonna be a tough year, we think. The church can shine in it like none ever before. So that's the wisdom. Now let's go after this third thing. 1 Corinthians 26. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that a few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose things despised by the world Things counted as nothing at all and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. He works that way all the time. And as a result, no one can boast, ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. From, for our benefit, God made him to be wisdom himself. So Paul's writing, remember from where you all came, we once all thought we were wise, thought we had everything, and we're thirsty, unsatisfied, and then we found Jesus, our focus and our wisdom. And when that happened, in a Jesus culture, Christ became our unity. That's the third point. He's our focus, he's our wisdom, and he's what brings you together. He's our unity. You gotta have those first two. If he's our focus, and he's our wisdom. We'll stay unified. We can only be unified in him. That's the only thing that's gonna hold all this diversity together in this room. And everywhere we come from, our experience, our backgrounds, our influence. Do you know there's over 2,000 Protestant denominations today because they get over one issue of doctrine and they blow each other up. It goes into power and wisdom and they have failure and they divide. 2,000 Protestant divisions, denominations, because we lost sight of our focus. Today, if Christ is not our focus and he's not our wisdom, we will struggle with being unified. There's a, there's a, there's a small group, we're teaching all these amazing small groups, but one life group called Unoffendable. If you have a chance to go through it, I encourage you to go through it. Unoffendable takes us through the fact that righteous anger only belongs to God, and in a very angry and divided world, it tells us how to be like Jesus, and that is forgiving and moving forward in action to make change. It's an amazing class that's rattling the foundation of our church who want to hold on to anger and justice. And we're called in Jesus' culture to forgive and move to action. If Christ isn't our focus and, and he's not our wisdom, the world will divide us, the doctrine will chew us up, and our politics will get us to look at a lesser kingdom. But, verse 30 Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. I love how he finishes this out. He said, Jesus is our center. He is what makes us right. He is the one who makes us right with God. He is the one who makes us holy and set apart. We're not like the world. We don't act like that culture. And he set us free from all that garbage. He's our northern star. He's our focus. He's our wisdom. He's the only person that can unify us. And because of all that, the fourth point, he is who we boast about. He's our focus. He's our wisdom. He's our unity. And I would argue that in my time frame of life, this is the most divided I've seen our nation. And we do not need to allow this into our church because we don't think like that. 
He is our focus, he's our wisdom, he's our unity, and that's worth boasting. And the reason why it's worth boasting, ladies and gentlemen, we walk out this door today unified as we come together and learn how to navigate this world, the changes of whatever the world throws at us in the next three months or the next year. Whatever it throws at us, we stay here. And then we go out the door, the world that's divided and angry and bitter, they're gonna say, what's different about you? And we're gonna say, let me boast about my Savior Jesus that can change your life too. Let's not boast about me. Let me boast about the one who changed my life. Let me boast about the one who changes our church every day. Let us boast about the reason that we're out there with joy and peace is because we are different and we want you to be part of it. Let me introduce you to my Savior. And I would love to draw a more exclamation point on that, but I have two individuals here that I think you need to hear from. We talk about Paul's missionary journeys. As a church, you know, when you leave today, make sure if you've, put them, if you've been anywhere sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, anywhere in the globe, put a pin in that map. But today I'm gonna introduce you to two very special people who are missionaries from our church for several years to East Africa. Michelle and Nicole helped, and I want them to come up and share about the boasting they are doing in Christ representing our church in a bunch of different countries. Michelle, I'm gonna think, yeah, make them feel their home. I'm gonna have you step more forward. That way that static thing was you, so we'll see if static it's. Was causing the problem. <laughs> Hopefully this time it'll sound better. Good morning. Indeed, we want to boast in Christ, and we want to boast in how we have seen him at work. My name is Michelle Haupt. My sister, Nicole, and I serve in East Africa with Wycliffe Bible Translators, but we have been a part of Westview for more than 20 years. Just the last eight years, we have been in Tanzania. Um, so we're always excited when we can be back and we can be with our family here at Westview. So it's good to see all of you. We do want to share. Um, we have a lot of things that we have seen God at work, but we're gonna hit kind of three high points. And the first one connects to uh, New Testaments that have been completed, and I'll let Nicole tell more about that. So what we do in Tanzania is support the work of translation. We are not translators. Um, we work with Tanzanian colleagues who are, and we're excited because right now in, in Tanzania, since we've been there in 2016, there have been 13 New Testaments that have been completed in the local languages. Yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> um, and in, these, in this past year, there were five New Testaments that were completed. We were able to attend the Ecoma New Testament dedication. That's the first on the list there. And we are excited for the, the Rangi New Testament dedication that's coming in 2024. That's one of the languages connected to our office, so we're super excited about that. They've had a lot of challenges, and I know that we've asked for prayer for the Rangi, so thank you for your prayers, and please continue to pray for them as they continue to finish everything. They've been, it's been sent to print. Pray for the other ones that are on that list, too. Um, and as we support the work of translation, in addition to one of the things that we've worked on this year um, is, is a Sunday school program to support the Rangi New Testament as it's coming. Um, so in the next slide, you're gonna see two of our coworkers, Magdalena and Emilia, and they are working, we have all been working together on Bible booklets um, that are in print and audio. So you see us recording books there. But those print and audio Bible books went out to the community at the beginning of October, and you can see an excited teacher and some students with those books um, and the little audio player that I forgot to bring again. But it's, it's something that they can use to play their recordings um, in their classrooms. So one of the things that's maybe difficult to see in that teacher's hand is a little bag that that audio player goes in, and those little bags were decorated by kids at Westview here. So thank you to our kid ministry for sending us with those little bags and encouraging messages to the kids there. I'm gonna let Michelle share a little bit more about um, other things. And the one thing that happened this year that we were not expecting that God kind of surprised us with is connected to the Jesus film. 
Westview has a long history as, of being involved with with Jesus Film, um, and you'll, those of you who are here years ago will remember the first Jesus Film that Westview was connected with was with the Samburu people connected to Ken and Susan Black who worked in Northern Kenya in Maralal. Well, hold on to that thought and, and kind of fast forward to now, so kind of jumping back and forth. At the time that Westview came behind that, uh, that Jesus film, we had the privilege of getting to go to the launch of that Jesus film along with Stephen Wiesa Brantle, Pastor Brian. We were not part of Wycliffe at that time, but we were excited to have the, the blessing to do that. So jumping forward to now, July 2023, we're working with Wycliffe, and we have been helping with Jesus Film in the last several years. We were contacted in July to ask if we would be able to help in September. And we said, yes, we, we, can, we can do that, but we didn't know where we might be going. We knew it was in Kenya, but they didn't know the language for sure because several projects were in, in progress. So we went to Kenya, still knowing that something was coming, but there was still a delay, and they weren't sure which, which language group. And Finally, the message came, and the night the message came, actually, it was, uh, I was asleep, but Nicole did, she was up and she got the message. She came walking into my room, just holding the phone towards me, saying, look, look, look at this. And they had asked if we can help with the Samburu Walking with Jesus film. So that's a different film. It's a, it's a discipleship series, and a lot, of, a lot of different languages that already have the Jesus film then moved to working with the Walking with Jesus film. And we were both just shocked and excited and amazed. We're like, wow, we get to go back. We get to see the people that we knew. And, and so we were really encouraged, really excited to be able to work with them. You'll see pictures there. I'm working with Pastor Timothy. That's Lawrence, who you, you Westview has partnered with, uh, with Lawrence. He's one of the voice actors for the film. And you'll see a picture in a minute of Nicole and I in some really bright clothes. We were given gifts and beads and a number of things. So it was just a really encouraging time being there. But what I want to remember most about this, Pastor Timothy, there in between us, he was, he was someone we met in 2012. On the first day of recording, he walked up to me with a little guest book, and he held it out, and he said, do you remember this? He, he opened it up and pointed to my name, and of course, my name and Brian and Nicole and, and Stephen, we were all in there. I said, yeah, I do. I remember being here. And he said, he said do you remember what you asked me? I was kind of, I kind of stopped because I did. I remembered what I asked him at that time. Um, and in fact, that time that we were still, Nicole and I were both still working at K-State, but we were both sensing the Lord might be moving us in a different direction. And at that time, while we were there, um, I just had a few minutes, we were standing outside the translation office, and I asked him, how could we help here? Is there anything that we could do um, to, to support what's happening here? You know, Ken and Susan were there, and well, as it turns out, over the course of time, our paths did not lead us to Mar-a-Law. We ended up in Tanzania working in a different, different avenue. But Pastor Timothy looked at me very specifically and said, today God is answering your question. And it just really touched my heart, and it's just, a, it's just an encouragement. Um, so thank you, Westview, for being a part of that. For me, it's an encouragement to trust God and know that he is writing the story from beginning to end, to boast in him and what he's doing and trust and obey what he puts before you and he will work out the rest of the details. So thank you. Thank you all for being a part of that. Thank you all for being a part of the work that God continues to do in my heart. So thank you very much. And I would just say thank you as well. Um, we would ask that you would continue to pray um, again for the wrong for the wrongy New Testament, for all of the New Testaments that are coming. We have two little books that need to be printed um, to go along with that Sunday school program. So prayers that all of that goes well. And even though this is the end of our message, we bring greetings from everyone in Tanzania and in Kenya. They were so excited. And they said, please tell everybody at Westview that we love them. And they just wanted to send their greetings. So thank you guys again. And yeah. So I think a really good time now is, is offering. Offering is where we respond to everything that God's done, everything that God's done through them. Every time that you pray, every time that you give, it keeps that. It, this is our family that God, we have missionaries on every continent from this church that are doing stuff like this all the time. And it's all of us together fueling that mission, praying for that mission. It's amazing when you look at that map back there, what God's doing through this church. That's the gospel being shared all over the globe. And so we're part of that. 
So our offering first today as we go into offering time is them. They're home to rest. And I will tell you, these guys need rest. They've been running really hard. So pray for their rest at time uh, back home here in Kansas. They'll be worshiping with us. Take them out to dinner. Love on them. Just make sure that you know how much we, before they launch back out in January and go back and continue. Our offering is to continue to support them. Did you see five million people are hearing the word of Jesus because of the work that they're doing? And he's working through you, through them, and through everybody else, and then continue. So it's just amazing. We're just sitting here in awe with our jaw on the ground. So let's give that offering and our offering of ourselves today. Would you bow your heads with me? And those online, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for time to worship. Thank you for that we can see everything that you're doing through us around the whole globe. It's amazing what you do. And so their offering be a continued response of unified people. We pray that these two get a lot of rest while they're home and enjoy time with family. Father, continue the work that they've already got in motion there. Continue while they're, continue moving that forward that so many can hear the word of Jesus and now we can't even wait to see what they come back and report about next. We give them safety back as they go back in the field. I'm sure we won't talk to them again. Our offering, Lord, to you is our response that we stay unified, that Jesus is our focus and he's our wisdom and that we stay strong together so we can all go out today and boast about Jesus whose culture here is so different than the world's and we want the rest of the world to join us in that. So let our offering to you be our best we have and whether it's our time, our treasure, our talent today, let us go forth and be the church you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you give these guys a big round of applause one more time? And we've got a really special treat for you to finish out in song that just matches everything that we're doing. So here comes a very special group to share with us a benediction song, songs today.
Thank you, kids. Give them one more round of applause. What a way to finish the day. Would you stand with me for this benediction? Remember this, that Christ is our focus, our wisdom, our unity. And now let's go boast about it. Amen? Let me give you the same words that Paul gave the church of Corinth right at the end. He says, be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong, just like the kids taught us, and do everything with love. Go and boast about Christ this week. We'll see you next Sunday.